Hello from Cyberry and Delinea, and welcome to the show. If you've been enjoying the Cyberry podcast or 401 Access Denied, then make sure to like, follow, and subscribe so that you don't miss any future episodes. We'd love to hear from you. Join the discussion by leaving us a comment or review on your platform of choice or emailing us at podcast at cyberry.it. From all of us at Cyberry and Delinea, thank you and enjoy the show. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the 401 Access Denied podcast. I'm the host of the episode today, Joe Carson, and it's a pleasure to be here with you. I'm the Chief Security Scientist and Advisory Scissor at Delinea, and we have an awesome guest returning again to the show. And I'm really kind of so great to, to it's been a while since we've spoken. So uh, it's great to have uh, Dustin, aka Evil Mog, back onto the uh, podcast. So, uh, Dustin, for those who's new to the episode and uh, who may have not seen the previous ones, if you can give them a little bit of uh, background to who you are and what you do. Yeah, I'm Dustin Haywood, otherwise known as Evil Mog. I am the chief architect of IBM's X-Force uh, team of hackers. I'm also a member of Team Hashcat, uh, Bishop of the Church of Wi-Fi, and generally involved in all sorts of password-related shenanigans. <laughs> Fantastic. And that, I mean, <laughs> what other, you know, I want to bring up the, today's topic, which is always something that's been controversial, always something that you know, will continuously uh, be discussed for probably quite a few years to come is uh, our passwords really dead? And what, what does the future hold for passwords? Um, they, they may be under different names, different terminologies, different uh, uh, analogies. But um, in your opinion, I just want to kind of get your, your thoughts and input is, you know, are passwords really dead? Are we seeing the decline of them? Um, and uh, what what does the future behold? So uh, just kind of get your thoughts well, on this. Let's go define this here. I mean, <laughs> Are passwords really dead? That's kind of a loaded question. And I'm going to turn this around is, are shared secrets really dead? That's never going to end. Um, really, all the password is is a you know, cheap form of shared secret. Um, privileged accounts, privileged passwords, shared secrets, those will always live. Will always live. Um, you know, your corporate active directory, you're going to see those still. But you know, we are shifting away to newer forms of authentication to servers. Like, in, let's look at Linux, for example. I never enter in a password anymore. I use either an SSH um, shared key or an SSH certificate. That still, at the end of the day, ties down to a shared secret somewhere being stored. Um, your average user logging on to a bank, for example, might have a password stored in a password manager that they never look at. There might be the web auth and OpenID Connect. So that you're seeing users no longer needing to enter in passwords, but from a you know, corporate side, they still exist and they still need to be managed regardless of whether they're being abstracted away. Absolutely. So, so really what we're talking about is, is, is that simply, uh, you know, a password is one form, but in reality, what we're still talking about is secrets, is the shared secrets and, and even private secrets that, you know, no one even else needs to know um, is really the form. And the password is just one vari variation of that. Um, and what we should be really talking about is secrets in general. It should be the proper term. Is we're talking about the the higher level up method of uh, you know verification, authentication, authorization, which is that secret. And a password is just one form, one cheap form of basically being able to you know uh, uh, to to authenticate or to to use that. So for me, absolutely, I think you know getting into really for me, passwords still are not really kind of. I think the form and use of passwords is changing. It's no longer being that continuous interactive uh, exchange to, to gain access. You know, the password itself is probably, you know, being re-termed as the passphrase, or it's been changed into a recovery key. <laughs> you know, it's, it's a way to recover what, or 
enrollment, enrolling of devices as well. So I think just the form or the interaction is changing and how we use passwords. Is that something that you, you think is would be more accurate than That'd be far more accurate. The other thing is you got to look at, you know, IoT devices, for example. These things can't store massive secrets repositories. They're going to have, you know, the odd backdoor key. They're going to have uh, an AES uh, you know, shared you know, or encryption key stored on them. You're going to see things like, you know, your routers, your switches, you know, your mobile phone. I'm not going to unlock my phone with just my face because, say, for example, I go out and get rowdy at Vegas and somehow I get arrested for shenanigans. <laughs> I, I'm going to want to you know, have a pin inside my head because legally they can't extract the pin, but they can use my biometric features against me to unlock a device. So, you know, you're never going to get away with things like entering a pin with your credit card when you're buying um, food. That's still just another form of shared password. It's just you know, the important part about passwords is they should always be unique because you can never trust the site you're logging into. Like, I don't trust my bank as far as I don't trust my uh, Air Miles program or Aeroplan points or, you know, pick whatever, you know, my local public library. Some miscreant goes and pops one of those systems. And then, you know, there's the big IR. They've extracted all the passwords. They're up on one of the various password sharing sites. You know, it, the containment of making sure that password is unique and being managed on my behalf is what generally keeps me safe from those breaches. Because usually breaches happen. Yep, absolutely. And, and they're going to continue happening. You know, it's just something that we know is is guaranteed is that organizations will fall victim. And whether they're keeping the, you know, those secrets in encrypted form or not, um, you know, they're going to get out there. And that means that if you're using the same secret for multiple, uh, you know, accounts and credentials, um, that's going to be something meaning that you're going to get compromised in multiple areas, not just one. So what's, what's, well, the, best, what's the best practice about how do you make them unique? What's how? Honestly, what, what's, humans can't generate a password to yeah. save their lives. I can't do it. I've been doing it forever. I mean, I maintain 400 plus secrets. And even with my great memory, I can't remember 20 plus characters long. Um, ideally, length is important. Uh, despite what anybody says, because it makes the brute force harder. But most important is entropy. Um, if you base them off words, base them off anything in general, there's going to be a pattern that can be discerned. And yeah, people say, you know, oh, I can't brute force them on a 12-character password on, say, MD5 or NTLM. But there's these new combinator attacks, et cetera, and we've been using for the last 10 years that you know, get the crack time up or crack length up to 17 characters if you're using you know, common kind of patterns on a keyboard in almost any language. So really, computer-generated, randomized, and frequently rotated. Like, I hate NIST, for example, for one simple reason. Like, I love NIST, don't get me wrong, but NIST guidance on passwords saying people don't have to rotate them is actually counterproductive to the overall um, effect like you know sure you know we have one master password for your you know vault with recovery keys and you know get things bound to a token etc or bound to a, a piece of hardware that's fine but you know like let's look at active directory and i'm so sorry microsoft for picking out your product you understand ntlm's going away and you're talking about it so that's great mm -hmm. um but you know ntlm is basically md4 which is broken way back in the 90s i can go out and spend you know, let's call it a thousand dollars in a video card that can do 600 giga hash per second, which is ridiculous. You can brute force an eight character in a matter of, you know, an hour kind of deal. So really, um, the other problem with Windows is passwords are hash equivalent or ha password hashes are password equivalent in that if I know the password hash, I can just pass them around without knowing the password. Yep. So you need to rotate things like privileged passwords almost every time you use them. Yeah, user passwords fine. I, if you don't have any privileges, no paths to a DA or no paths to something scary, and you know you have a way of rotating them whenever you know, it was detected, 
that's totally cool. But how many people rotate every single one of their Active Directory passwords every time an AD admin leaves or a storage admin leaves? Very seldom, even even to the point where even service accounts and application passwords, which have been you know installed by consultants that come in temporarily and have probably used the same password in every installation have done because it's the simplest method. It's it's the one that yeah. they used to. And, and that's the supply know, chain attack, works. right? Yep, absolutely. So one of the things, you know, that, that was actually one of my challenges. It was two things was that definitely the NIST recommendations should not rotate passwords, especially if we're using multi-factor authentication. But we know MFA fatigue exists. We know it's been something on the increase. We know that attackers have been able to compromise it uh, through basically, you know, just continuously pushing the user multiple. Eventually, they're going to click accept at some point just to get rid of it. So we know MFA fatigue is there. We know that, you, you know, rotating passwords should be a good practice. And it's always been controversial. And I know that we've always had debates online and social about it. Um, but for me, it means that just the length of time that you rotate passwords may not be every you know, 15, 30 days. It can be a bit longer, but, but it comes down to really what you're protecting. What is it that's behind that authentication? Is it your, you know, is it your organization's entire you know, active directory? Is it your bank account? Is it your intellectual property? Is it legal documents? Is it HR information? Is it health information? It really comes down to what it is you're protecting should be based on what authentication, what controls you put in front of it. Um, it should be a proper risk-based approach. Um, so not, not all authentication is equal. Oh, exactly. I don't really care about, you know, my logon site for ordering new Nespresso pods, as an example. I'm sorry to use brand names, but, you know, like I order <laughs> coffee all the time and I'm not going to care about swapping that out because I don't save my credit cards on those. I don't necessarily care if I swap out, you know, my thing for the major grocery chains because nothing's really stored on there. There's no secrets other than, hey, I buy milk every Tuesday. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah, unless you're profiling me on that, it's not a big deal. But, you know, you're right. My banking, my um, anything financial related, anything storing massive personal information stores, those are critical. Like, I'll be honest, I have a janky password that I use on those throwaway sites on throwaway emails just because it's a default for, you know, I'm not going to go through the effort of putting something in a password manager that I'm never going to use again. Absolutely. And that gets into the point as well is that not even just for me, I don't just rotate passwords and, and have unique passwords for all the sites. I actually have even, you know, because the email address that I use, I use different email addresses for different types of uh, sites for, you know, signing up for, for you know, hotel chains or um, loyalty cards and stuff. I have a completely separate account that I use just for those. Because even the password is still 50% off the secret. Um, you have to have an identifier as well. So we should always have a practice of making sure that we try to, to, to make that 50% as difficult as possible. Oh, exactly. Even on the usernames, I'll use them um, like plus style email addresses. So, you know, enter in, you know, evilmog at, you know, nobodycares.com. I go add a plus at the end of the evilmog because certain mail providers who shall remain nameless allow you to uh, add on additional pieces. So I'll go like, you know, evilmog plus, uh, you know, hashcat, for example, for access to my, you know, Hashcat accounts. And this way, if I start getting spammed, I know where the junk's coming in from. You know, you go to Vegas to sign up for the casino rewards program, you're going to get spammed 30 ways from Sunday, and it's handy to know <laughs> who to contact to get your, you know, please remove me requests in. Yeah, absolutely. And that's one of the things methods I've done is just practicing that over the years. And it's just for me, it's a, it's a lot to manage sometimes, um, but it, it allows me to almost identify just right down to where that spam, you know, is coming from or where that company that might have been um, selling off your data or been breached 
Uh, you, it allows you to isolate that source much, much, much better. So exactly. and I'm glad you brought up the management yeah. part, though. That's the important yeah. thing. Secrets management needs to be easy. Is here's the thing: people aren't in the business of changing their passwords. People are in the business of doing their jobs, and they'll do whatever it takes to get things done. Um, you know, one of the cheapest things companies can do is give every employee a mobile phone, and then buy them a password manager synced to their mobile phone, tied to their enterprise policies and then give them the free access for personal use. Like if they have it made easy for them, there's an incentive to not have to deal with the cumbersome processes. You know, you say like, if you're using the password manager, you go to the front of the support line or something to encourage the usage. It can't be all stick all the time because quite frankly, nobody cares. Absolutely, I mean, it should really get into the point where, you know, it's about reducing that cyber fatigue because passwords still are a pain. I, I mean, I. I'm in the business of, of, of privilege escalation and identifying, you know, managing privilege access. Um, but passwords are not the funnest thing that I enjoy doing in the day. It's not rotating them, not thinking about them, not creating them. And what we should do is, uh, to your point, is managing them what's better and moving them into the background as much as possible. The less we have to interact with them, um, the less that we have to even choose them and decide what's the next greatest password. I think it's the better is is that the more we get automated, the more we have a solution or a tool that does it for us, um, the more we can focus on what we enjoy doing, um, the more time we get back. You know, for me, we always talk about what's the most valuable thing in this world. And for me, um, it's time. About, it's time. <laughs> it is time. It's it's how much time I have to do anything. And the more time I can save and the less time I waste on changing passwords or deciding on passwords, the better the better life that I live. Um, and I think that's ultimately what we should do is, you know, rewarding people with getting, giving them time back. That's what we're doing. Yeah. And that's the thing. So see, passwords aren't really dead per se. So they're shifting to the background. They're changing form. They are being abstracted away and it can't come soon enough, but they will always exist, or at least until I retire and another <laughs> 10 years. I mean, if I'm still dealing with passwords in 10 years in the form they're at now, I'm going to scream. Absolutely, uh, but you're, you're absolutely the form is changing. You know they are in, they're moving. Even sometimes, uh, I think we when we had to, the previous episode, we talked about you know what is smart passwords and you know how to choose them. We talked about moving to wait, the temporary keys was even a better form where you're using mm -hmm. things like you know it's moving it into the background, which it's it's being basically created that one time only for that specific amount of time that might have additional uh, factors of security controls where it maybe it be push notification, maybe it be multi-factor authentication, maybe it be peer review, depending on what sense of risk-based authentication yeah. as well. Like we've got various indicators we're collecting from all this data on people. Like if all of a sudden I'm you know, logging on from Canada and then I switch to logging on from, you know, across the world in Asia Pacific region, you know, within you know, less than an hour, Time travel isn't possible. No one travels that fast via, you know, other methods. So these kind of things also tie into it. Like we've got everyone has a fingerprint, right? So it's there's always about multiple channels of authentication and also easier recovery as well. Absolutely, and that's where we get into. That's where I was used the term about using almost like a digital polygraph test. Is that you have these set of you know. Uh, Say analytical, uh, you know, key metrics that you start to understand about a person's. Uh, not, it's not, it's not my 
my behavior per se is me, but it's my behavior of authentication. It's my authentication behavior. Yeah, it's like your control. telemetry that comes in, Correct. you know, where do I was log in from? What kind of hours? Um, what about my machines? Yeah, you know, my Linux windows, right. is there things about my stack? There's a number of signals that we can collect. And then it's all about, you know, abnormal uh, signal analysis, which is the one thing AI is actually really good at is identifying stuff that's outside of a pattern. Absolutely. It's much, much more quicker than we can determine. And once we have that visibility, once it allows us to bring it to the surface, we can then reach out and check with that person, you know, are you really coming from this location? Or we can we can automate that. We can use, you know, yeah. orchestration, interoperability to to check and, and, and verify that that person is really. And then you still have the odd human yeah. in the loop to go make the final trigger because, you know, who knows? Weird stuff happens. I could wind up partying heavily in Australia somewhere. <laughs> and, you know, I might do the random auth after a night out but you know that's one of those things you have a human check-in in the loop you make it seamless you make it less painful and that's the important part absolutely so what where's the, where's the future where's the future going with passwords what what's you know we talked about moving them into the background we talked about of course them changing form um and making it much easier to manage uh, and having incentives for people to manage where's the future really going what, what where do we see you know at how do you see, you know, let's say in 10 years time, when if you just decide to retire? Um, yeah. Well, what I'm seeing now is recently we've gone to a lot of folks moving to OpenID Connect or SAML for authentication, usually against the major email providers such as your Microsofts, your Googles, your Yahoo's, et cetera, and having them rely on the authentication for the smaller shops. Like, for example, I run a multi-user dungeon always every year for DEF CON. And the forums, I don't use user passwords anymore because I don't want to store user secrets. I make people sign in with their social media and or emails via those OpenID Connect methods. And then there's nothing for me to worry about. And then you know, the provider deals with all the authentication. So I'm seeing a lot of that in the consumer space. That reduces a lot of the accounts people need to memorize. And it's there's toolkits out there for that. Um, Business-wise, they're moving to a lot of centralized authentication. Even Linux now, with things like HashiCorp Vault, SSH certificates, that kind of world. Um, you know, like my users, for example, to log on to Unix box, they authenticate, their certificates are valid for 12 hours. End of the 12 hours, they're off the system. So when I need to do staffing changes or adjust enrollments, it's no longer having to go push to 1,000 plus systems. Because thing, authentication modification on stuff in the field, it's a very brittle process. It's like that's going away. Um, so it's time-based uh, authentication in reality. It's, it's, it's no longer that you have persistent privilege for your entire yes. lifetime. And that also gets away from one of the things, the, the major challenge you, you brought up at the beginning was around deprovisioning when, when the sysadmin leaves and having to worry about, do they still have that secret? Well, that secret was only time-based. So there was nothing to deprovision because they only got access for a period of time. And if that if they can't re-elevate that access up after they've left, then they, they you know there's nothing to deprovision. Exactly. Microsoft calls it just enough administration and just in time provisioning. Um, these kind of systems are absolutely the future. You're still going to have to maintain a couple of backup passwords, but they're going to be easier to maintain because you'll know where they are, obviously randomized per system. Um, but we're, we're getting there. It's going to take us some time. Those secrets are indeed shifting, but you still have to manage them like anything else. Like what happens when the um, servers hosting the certificate signer get popped. How do you go swap out those secrets? So I still have to rotate those on a annual, quarterly, whatever basis and have overlap to recover in the event an agent can't check in. So, this, so what you're really saying is, you know, to make it our, the lives easier for the people, you know, the users and the consumers and everyone else, 
is our job's getting a little bit harder <laughs> um, mm-hmm. to do that. But what what some of the best practices you know to for for our jobs of managing secrets? What 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 would be the best practices that you would recommend to, to make most our important? Um, all right, so we're going to break this up into two sections, one for a consumer, one for an enterprise. So for a consumer, make sure you back up your password manager's secrets and store them in either like a safety deposit box or a secondary location. You know, house fires happen, people's devices break, and if you lose access to everything, including your multi-factor secrets, it can be a serious pain to recover and a lot of phone calls. So make sure that's backed up always, always, always. Mm-hmm. Um, try and rotate your um, password manager secret once a year. I know it's hard. Uh, make sure it's something that's memorable for you, but still reasonably random. Make sure it's long. Um, I know this is pushing the limits of most people's memories. I prefer a 16-character long authentication secret at a minimum um, for my password manager. Some people go as low as 12. That's kind of pushing it. I mean, if you can do up to 20, that's great, but the memory on that's really hard. So the important part is you stick with what's memorable. Um, yeah, make sure there's multi-factor authentication enabled. Yeah, back up your recovery secrets. So that's the important piece for the consumers. Yeah, don't use the same password everywhere. Randomize them as much as possible. Um, pick a password manager that hasn't been breached multiple times in the last couple of years. I'm not going to name names. Um, I know I'm not going to. And I'll say this anyways, IBM uses one password, as do I, um, but yeah, pick you know, the Bitwardens or whichever ones are the one you want. Find one that works for you and stick with it. Consistency is key. Um, now, when it comes down to the enterprises, get an enterprise secrets manager tied into all of your systems. Make sure secrets are rotated on a routine basis, in particularly privileged passwords. Also, heavily monitor your privileged password use. If all of a sudden a privileged password is being used from a lower security zone, such as an end user terminal service zone accessing, say, a server zone, that's bad. So network segmentation, oddly enough, is still critical, even though it's not a password best practice. But, you know, make sure your secrets are managed and then make sure your secret stores are split up. I mean, if someone managed to go break into a secret store for a low security zone, don't, you know, make sure it has the secrets for the high security zone. Keep your secrets within those security zones. Because here's the thing, identity is the new VLAN. Mm-hmm. And this applies to your it. cloud world. It applies to, you know, your passwords here. It applies to absolutely everywhere. And then finally, make sure your employees are enabled with password managers. This isn't just privilege management, you know, your employees guard some of the greatest secrets on their laptops, you know, your finance, your marketing, everything else. So give, give them the tools that need to succeed. Otherwise, they're going to go to post-it notes and same passwords. And we'll be having the same discussion again next year. Absolutely. I think you brought up a really important point. This is something that I keep iterating over and over again, is that almost all users should be considered privileged in some form or another. It's not that... Because we, we sometimes isolate into privileged accounts or privileged access because those are the ones that really uh, keep the infrastructure running. They keep the lights on. They keep the access going. Um, but some of the most sensitive data is it's it's privileged data, which is sitting on people's laptops and sitting on you know that that any, you know some specific accountant might have access to your financial data. Your lawyer has Lawyers. access yep. have access to your actual legal documentations, your intellectual property, um, even you know sensitive cases you might you know. Um, you might be having some submission from some new product or new algorithm uh, that might be in copyright or in some patent. And if that gets out, you know, that is sometimes more devastating to the business than it is, you know, sometimes other accounts being compromised. 
So privileged data for me is something that organizations should be, you know, also considering is having access to that should be considered privileged. Um, and therefore making sure that, you know, getting into good segmentation and to your point is, you know, and those different security zones, having the appropriate level of, you know, access in each of them and don't, don't try to put everything in one, one bucket. Exactly. And the other thing is, I mean, we should be reducing friction. Um, we make things so hard for people that they're going to work around a control. Here's the thing. People are not in the business of following controls. People are in the business of doing the business. And if they can't get their job done, deadlines start pressing, they're going to work around them and they're very ingenious. So that's the important part. Make it easy. Absolutely. So this is one of, so one of the, you know, we, we've been talking about zero trust for a long time. Uh, time and for me, what, what we should be talking about is zero friction. That's ultimately is, is getting to zero friction security because that's where if we make it easy for people to use and consume, that's where actually security becomes usable and better. That's where people want, that's become people want to use it because it makes their life better. And we have to be better at listening and understanding about the needs of the users, the needs of the people, the needs of the people that we serve to making sure that, you know, we're not forcing something that's difficult to use on them because they'll always find ways around it. They'll find ways to circumvent it or, or to, to, you know, get around it um, or, or be forced them to use, you know, their personal device for work. And, and we lose visibility of security completely because they're sending everything to their personal device and, you know, and that means that you're, you're not having any visibility at all. So we should be making sure that people want to use it and it makes their lives better. Yeah, exactly. Someone once told me the brakes on the race car are there to make it go faster, not go yep. slower. That's exactly <laughs> what security is here for. We're there to make the business go faster and do things in risky environments that normally wouldn't be able to be done. But we need to be working with the business. That's why we're seeing the rise of things like BISOs in addition to CISOs. Mm -hmm. You know, BISO is a business information security officer that understands the business far better than the technical folks do. Um, that's why every technology person should understand their business they're in. Otherwise, they're just giving you know, generic advice that doesn't really have application in the real world. And that's, that's a really important point is our job is actually is to, is to make the business actually resilient and make it make it be able to move faster to your point, you know, it's like, you know, the race car with the brakes. I've heard that analogy multiple times. and I think it's great that, you know, therefore, you, you know, they're going to work when you need them. It's to slow you down to stop you from actually having a really bad accident and allow you to keep going. Well, exactly. It's also, if you look at you're going through a curve, right? You yeah. brake as you come into the curve, you regain your traction, and then you slam the gas on the way out, and you go faster because of those brakes. Otherwise, you'd have to go lay up the throttle, and you'd go mm -hmm. spin out, and nothing would work. Absolutely. That's really, really wise, wise words. So for what, what, so I think we come to the reality is that, you know, passwords are evolving. I think it's an, it's an evolution that's happening, mm -hmm. and, and that it's not the death of passwords. It's an evolution of passwords that's evolving into... Uh, much faster than what we've seen probably in the past, you know, 40, 50 years that passwords have existed, that we're seeing an evolution of passwords evolving into uh, moving more into the background, um, becoming time-based and not persistent-based, um, to having basically more segregation uh, and, uh, you know, entropy and also understanding about making sure that we have fewer uh, passwords and, and also meaning also less interaction, less human involvement into it. I think that's also in key as well. Yeah, and that's exactly the important part is less interaction. And the less I see the password, the better. I mean, yeah, there's be times where he has to go you know, querying me for uh, uh, authorizing that secret. And yeah, I'm getting a lot more control over how they're being used. But in general, I no longer have to go spend, you know, like, how many times in IT do you have to go enter in your password to go log onto a system, pre-password manager? It was insane, right? So we'd keep short passwords because it saved us typing. Now that's in a password manager, it's 
one click, auto approve. It validates the website I'm logging into and everything else. I can copy and paste into terminals. Heck, even some of them now will type in my multi-factor secrets for me. Yeah, and especially for you know for, for, for people like us for our passwords, uh, at least the generic system passwords tend to be very, very long um, that we don't have to type them in anymore, which is great as well. I mean, I don't have to remember them anymore, uh, which for me is a savior. So. Yeah, the only piece I don't like yeah. is there is no real good interaction between a virtual console on a hypervisor and a password manager yet. So if you're seeding a system, the passwords are typically garbage to so get online authentication to them and then turn them into a proper password. If someone manages out there looking at you one pass and possibly some of the rounds of the VMware, um, if you can make that work, I'd be very happy. No, oh, that's actually... I, I know a few people that we can pass that along to, so <laughs> we'll see how that goes. Um, Dustin, it's been fantastic having you on the show again. Uh, it really was words into, I think, you know, we come to the conclusion that passwords probably won't be dead before me and both of both of us retire. <laughs> um, we might let, you know, less interact with them. Uh, they might have under new names and new terminologies. Um, and it's really, I think when we talk about passwordless, uh, it's really a passwordless authentication experience. Um, it's an experience and it's a, it's a form of the interaction which is changing and that they are changing into more backup keys and recovery keys and temporary keys and so forth or, or um, enrollment keys. So we're seeing that evolution, uh, but definitely a you know, uh, recommendation, you know, use password managers and let's get to zero friction security. Let's get to where people enjoy security. Um, any final words for the audience? Anything that you would like them to take away and to, to, to you know, that would make, the, make their lives different? I mean, it's World Password Day. So I mean, last time any of us changed our passwords is probably the last World Password Day. So please go out and change all your passwords. <laughs> that's, a good, that's a good point. I know if, if there's any, anything that you haven't changed uh, that you can't, and, and if you can't remember the last time you changed, it's probably a good time to change it. Um, and if you have a password manager, it will tell you the last, how many years or, or how the length of uh, time that that uh, password age is. So, so definitely, uh, you know, it's, it's not always a good time to come up and think about What's a good formula for your passphrase? Um, how to make sure that it is at least sixteen characters long, and you know maybe maybe invest in a password manager. Uh, and also double check your backups while yeah. you're at it. I mean, because here's the thing: one is none, is two is one. You, you're gonna always have a backup yeah. fail. Make sure you've got multiples, especially if your authentication secrets. Yeah, even if you think you're good, just go back them up again just to be safe because Evil Mog told you to. <laughs> that's having having two backups is better than just having one and having a backup that actually is recoverable is the the purpose of having a backup um rather than just having it that you can't use it so very wise again it's fantastic having you on really hopefully uh, looking forward to catching up at some point in your future and again congrats on getting your uh, other black badge that's amazing um you tell before we go tell us a little bit about the, the church of wi-fi um oh, yeah, so the <laughs> The Church of Wi-Fi is mostly a joke religion. Um, we basically pull pranks and shenanigans. So the version I'm in is Church of Wi-Fi version three, which started at DerbyCon with RenderMan, where we were parachuting stuffed animals from the 18th floor of the Hyatt. We're also a Hacker Jeopardy team that has three world championship wins at DEF CON. So my entire team at uh, DEF CON is now black badged, as well as at Chicago's 312Con or ThoughtCon, we're all black badged there. So. We're mostly shenanigans who like to play a lot of Hacker Jeopardy. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. I'm really looking forward to Jeopardy this year. Uh, I missed uh, DEF CON last year, um, but uh, I'm definitely looking forward to this year. We're so fully retired now because we've won too many. Um, <laughs> they've actually said we can't play anymore, so now we're taking part in uh, helping with the shenanigans up front instead. So you'll probably see me at whose slide is it anyways, uh, judging up there. But 
we'll be around doing shenanigans. So fantastic. So so if you're looking to, to catch up with Evil Mog, definitely uh, catch him at DEFCON uh, for sure. Uh, definitely take the recommendation because uh, he is the, one of the most knowledgeable people in passwords uh, that I know in this world. So uh, it's a pleasure to know. Uh, so for everyone, make sure, you know, World Password Day, you know, take the time to, to review your passwords. You know, take a look at what you can do to um, make your lives better. Use a password manager and to to uh, Evil Mode's uh, recommendation, you know, make sure you back up, uh, you have solid backups and that they work and are recoverable. So again, thanks very much uh, for being on the show. Um, and for everyone, make sure, you know, tune in every two weeks for the 401 Access Tonight podcast. Uh, we're here to bring you the latest uh, ideas, thought topics, um, best practices and to really help uh, provide you the information you need to make the world and your world and society a safer place um so you know even go back and take a look at some of the previous episodes um you'll find uh, a lot of great valuable information there so i'm your host joe carson and it's been a pleasure serving you today and take care stay safe and again even well thank you for being on the show thank you Learn how your team can get a free trial of Cybrary for Business by going to www.cybrary.it slash business. This podcast is also brought to you by Delinea. Dicotic and Centrify are now Delinea, the leader in privileged access management. To learn more, visit delinea.com.